This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash rubyrogues. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another My Ruby Story. This week we're talking to Reuven Lerner. Reuven, do you want to say hello? Hey everyone. Now, uh, you were on episode 260 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. You talked about training, and yeah, we had an interesting conversation. Now, I also want to just call out that you're one of the panelists on the Freelancer Show, which is also on devchat.tv. So if people can't get enough of you, they can go find you over there, right? <laughs> I would be delighted. We, it's a super fun show to, to do. Yep. And uh, that, that's actually how I know Reuven. Um, he joined the panel back when I was on that show. And uh, yeah, I kind of retired from that show a little over a year ago. But uh, they're still going and they're talking about great stuff. So if you're interested in freelancing, go check them out. Um, now, on this show, Reuven, we talk a lot about people's story, right? Their story into programming, their story as far as what they've contributed to the community, what you're doing now, all of this kind of thing. Um, you know, not all of our guests have come on to talk about Ruby. You're one of them. You came on and talked about training. Uh, you do have a background with Ruby, though. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how how your career has progressed and, and get into what you're working on now. Um, but to get started, how did you get into programming? So um, the story is um, back when I was, I think, about seven, six or seven years old, um, I had not really a vision problem so much. I think they would call it now like a lazy eye. Mm -hmm. And um, I was supposed to do these eye exercises to make my eyes converge, and I hated doing it. So my eye doctor suggested we get this newfangled thing that had just come out called an Atari. Um, and that would like force my eyes to sort of converge. Right. And so my parents got one. And sure enough, I enjoyed playing it quite a bit. And at some point, they got this uh, add-on, this cartridge that let you do some basic programming. Not like mm -hmm. yeah, basic fundamental but like basically the language and basically so to speak like i got hooked this is tiny little amount of programming that i could do was amazing fast forward about a year and my parents gave me a birthday present of a programming class at a local computer store and it was basically me at the age of eight or so and all these like executives who had to learn <laughs> the latest thing and what they were going to be doing because they needed no computers to survive in business um and from there it just sort of took off i kept doing some programming on my own um, and then I got to college and discovered what real programming was and real computer science was. Um, and I've been doing it ever since. And I, I sort of look back um, at what I was doing at, you know, when I was in, say, high school and just have to laugh because what the high school kids are doing now is just light years beyond what I even imagined. Right. That That's really funny. Um, it seems like people kind of break down into one or two camps um, as far as this go. Camps is probably the wrong term because it's not like an opposition or anything, but you know, into two groups. And one is, is, oh, I found it as a kid. And the other is, I found it as an adult. 
And then I found it as an adult usually comes down to I went to college, uh, got interested in computer science there, or um, I had a career in something else and came across programming, you know, somewhere along the way. And so it's interesting just to see the the different perspectives of people coming through. I mean, um, I got into programming a little bit when I was about 12. And, uh, you know, that kind of colored things for me, but I was much more interested in electronics really than programming until I went to college. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you've, I know you well enough to know, you know, I can, I can put some insider knowledge into this, you know, but you went all the way through and got a PhD in computer science. Well, sort of computer science. So, so I got my bachelor's in computer science and then I worked for, I guess it was like, so I graduated 93 or so. So it was about 10 years that I was working, most of that time doing consulting. And at a certain point, I was like a little frustrated with the consulting thing. I felt like, you know what is in consulting? You, you do these projects and you never feel like you really reach the end. But then they run out of money. They go to business. They decide they don't need you. And I wanted something that would sort of give me a better sense of completion. And so, yeah, I did a PhD. Um, I actually didn't do it in straight computer science. Oh, okay. I didn't want to do something that was straight like programming databases, whatever. Because as much as I enjoy doing it, you have to really, really love what you're doing with a PhD. Because uh, you're going to hate it at the end. Um, and so I actually did it in the uh, education department at Northwestern, what they call learning sciences. Mm-hmm. And it's a combination of computer science and cognitive science and design, all for educational work. Now, we were granted like the nerd group. And I did a web application and analysis of users there. And we were developing a programming language. So in any other sort of department, other place, you could probably say it was a, a computer science degree in many ways. But it had that the, the, the human interest and educational angle tacked on as well, which is fun. Right. That's interesting. So what I'm curious about is, you know, with all of your education background and, you know, being a consultant for as long as you have been, um, h- how do you feel like your experience colors your, your career differently from somebody else who goes to school, gets a computer science degree or goes through a boot camp and then winds up just having a career in computer programming for the rest of their life? Um, so first of all, I, I feel like I'm extremely lucky. I, I really like, I love what I do uh, right now. Most days I go out and I do training in different companies. I get to meet all these really incredibly nice, smart people who want to learn, right? Cause imagine teachers in typical places, mm-hmm. right? The students are, yeah, yeah, I don't really want to learn, but these are people who are really eager to learn new things and they get excited to learn them. Um, but I also get, you know, people sometimes wonder, well, wait a second, you like programming, like where does the excitement go in there? And luckily I do enough with my teaching, researching for it and my newsletters and other things. I feel like I get to sort of dig in and still do the programming. I just get to do the stuff that I want. So in that sense, it's very different from what someone does in a typical job where they don't really have that freedom. That's why many people work on these open source projects at night. Like you do what your boss tells you and your boss tells you when you have a deadline. And if you have to put your knives to the grindstone, then you just, that's just the way it is. Um, at the same time, I, I don't think that what I did was so, you know, what I've taken in terms of my career path is unavailable to other people. On the contrary, I really think that um, once you have the skills to do programming, and if you can work on your skills, say, at writing and speaking, um, the, world, the world's your oyster. Like, mm-hmm. there's so many developers out there who are great at software but bad at communicating that all you have to do is, like, be a little better than the rest, and you will stand out, and people will notice you for it, and then ask you for help, and you'll get a great sense of, of satisfaction out of that, I, I believe. And that's sort of what, what started to happen with me over time. Right. The other question that I have is, um, you mentioned that you graduated with your bachelor's degree, you worked various places, mostly consulting. Why consulting? I mean, most people go out, they get a full-time job, 
And I mean, they'll bounce around from company to company, but you know, a lot of people I talk to about consulting, they're just like, Oh, you know, that that's scary. I can't go there or things like that. And it seems like you just kind of went there pretty early on. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, did an internship at HP over the summer when I was in college and then I worked there for about two years after I graduated. And there was a guy there, um, who was a contractor. And so when everyone else would go off to meetings, it was me, the intern and him, the contractor were not the meetings. And I was like, so what is this thing that you do? I don't understand. He was like, it is the best. <laughs> you, you can make lots of money. You can work at different companies. You get to do different things. And that sort of planted the seed of, huh, maybe this is something I'd like to do one of these days. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity I had was um, my next job was at Time Warner in New York. And I told them up front, um, I'm planning in a few months. This was in 95. Um, I was planning to move to Israel. And they said, well, what are you going to do there? I said, well, I was thinking of actually trying the consulting thing. I literally had no idea what it meant other than saying that sentence. Um, and maybe what this guy had told me previously at my earlier job. And they said, oh, well, if you want to do consulting, we'll be your first client. That then meant, okay, I've got a client. Now I have to find out what the, what does that mean? What, is it, what does it mean to have a client? What does it mean to have a relationship with them? What does it mean to set up a business? And I did it all like <laughs> learning, learning sort of through doing it. Um, and I also figured at that point, uh, I mean, Israeli high tech now is just booming. But even in the mid-90s, it was – good to such a degree that I figured, okay, I'll try the consulting thing. Worst case scenario, I'll get a real job. Um, at the same time, I've always, I mean, anyone who knows me, like I'm very, very independent and stubborn. Um, I'd always sort of joked slash toyed with the idea of having my own company from a young age. Mm-hmm. So I figured this was my opportunity. Worst case scenario, again, I'll go get a real job. And if it works right. out, fantastic. And um, you know, luckily the people at Time Warner actually, because they were willing to sort of help me out and be my first client, you could say in many ways that they were the initial investors in my consulting business. Oh, interesting. That's kind of funny. Uh, it's also interesting too. I mean, I know a lot of people that have gone out and um, they've that, I mean, that's how they got started, right? Was they, they uh, for some reason or another have a change in circumstances and their first client winds up being their last employer. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you had something like that also, didn't you? Nope. <laughs> oh no! Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I got I got that. laid off, and oh. <laughs> uh, uh, I I was applying around for jobs and wound up applying to a company that was looking for a contractor, but wasn't very clear about that until they hired me. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, so then it was what what hourly rate do you want? Not, <laughs> well, you know, how much do you have? What, what salary are you looking for? <laughs> and wow. uh, anyway, so that kind of worked out. I was also though negotiating with my wife to see if I could go freelance. Um, Mm -hmm. of course now I, I joke about going and getting full-time job and she's the one that's adamantly going, uh, uh, you know, cause she likes having me around and things like that. But I, I've kind of, I've kind of done both and now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm actually running a company that produces podcasts as opposed to software, but that may change. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Right. I mean, for, look, I, I've, so I've been doing this now for more than 20 years and I, I've been consulting since before I met my wife. So she's never known me as having a full-time job and my children even, I right. have three kids. And at some point I said to them, you know, most grownups go to work at the same place with the same people each day. And they thought this was the craziest thing they'd ever heard because mm-hmm. they know that every city I'm in a different place doing different things with different people and, and how much I enjoy it. Um, and it wasn't always perfect and great. I mean, things are definitely much more stable now that I've got the, the training thing going, but I mean, somehow we've always been able to pay the mortgage and, and eat. So that's, you know, so, so it's, it's certainly been okay for, for the bulk of the time. Yeah. It's funny. Cause my, my, uh, son, my oldest is 12 
And when he was like six or seven, he was over at one of the neighbor's houses. And, uh, you know, so he asked his friend where his dad was. Right. And, and his, his friend goes, oh, my dad's at work. And, and he, my son looked at him without missing a beat and said, oh, can we go see? Because he thought my dad's at work meant he's upstairs in his office. Funny. And, that is so incredibly funny. Yep. And, you know, it. Yeah, my, my kids don't remember a time when I was driving to work every day. You know, they when when my oldest was, well, he was like five when I, you know, I got laid off. And anyway, so, yeah, it's it's just funny. It's funny how, you know, the how, what normal, what defines normal. And right. Yeah. Right. Um, I know that you've done a bunch of stuff with Ruby. I know that's not currently your your main focus, but how did you get into Ruby? So, um, back when I was in college, um, I was at MIT and I had to do an undergrad thesis and, um, I decided to like, it was before the web, but the web was sort of kind of starting off and we were talking about different protocols. So I went to a local bookstore and I bought two books, one on set and awk and one on Perl. Mm-hmm. And I read the book on set and awk. I said, mm, interesting. And I read the book on Perl. I said, why did I buy that first book? <laughs> and so for something <laughs> like 10 years, 15 years, I was really heavily into Pearl. Mm-hmm. And then the Pearl community started to disintegrate. Um, and I said, okay, I really want to do all sorts of web stuff still. Pearl is not happening. That's when I started looking more into Python. And someone said, well, you know, there's this new thing, Ruby, and this new thing, Ruby on Rails, you should totally take a look at it. And I literally had started a project that day. I'd opened up the new directories in Pearl. I said, you know what? Forget it. I downloaded Ruby, downloaded Rails, read about how to do it, started the project in Rails, and just ran off from there. And for someone like me who came from the Perl world and was very used to that syntax and yet wanted real objects and really, like, loved the object model that Ruby presented, it was just heaven. And then, like, Rails, I mean, for quite a lot, I was basically working on web stuff from the beginning since early 93. And to have a framework that did all this, all these things for you automatically, it was just, it was just love at first sight. It was really a fantastic combination. Nice. So, so what have you done then with Ruby that you're most proud of? The, probably actually that first project that I worked on, which I kept working on for, I don't know, it was probably a good five years or so. I mean, nowadays there are a bunch of such sites like this, but uh, we did the first book buyback site mm-hmm. where if you had a book and you wanted to sell it. So we did the input of the ISBN and we would go and check out a whole bunch of backend databases and see who was selling it for what. And we even had like a whole prediction mechanism of, well, if you're trying to sell a textbook and it's mid-October, we will buy it now knowing that we'll be able to sell it for much more when the beginning of the semester comes around. Um, now, this was not my doing. Like, this was the idea of the, the guy who was running the bookstore um, who had all, this, all these ideas and all this information. But it was just it was just fantastic. And we were programming. I mean, it was basically me just doing all the programming all the time. Mm-hmm. And it really was humming. And um, I mean, it basically died partly because of competition, partly because of bad user interface, partly because just sort of thing, things that I'd love to say that weren't related to me. Right. Um, but I felt like it was it was a fun, interesting, great learning experience. It was nice to see a business really grow quickly um, and to be a part of that. That's oh, awesome. Oh, actually, I, I should mention also my, dis- my PhD dissertation, which I did in Rails. Oh, forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> oh, that thing. <laughs> that little thing that I worked on for a few years, which is a, a collaborative system for people who do um, modeling, like to do mm-hmm. computer-based simulations. And uh, like the, the, the proud thing for me there is not just that it worked, but a lot of people do a PhD and it like, you know, gathers dust somewhere. And it's true that my dissertation, the paperwork, 
gathers dust. But the website is still used. I finished, what, like three and a half, four years ago now? Mm -hmm. And the website is still used by uh, hundreds of people, maybe a few thousand people, certainly thousands a month, um, which is a, a nice feeling. And after I finished, someone said to me, you know, there's someone doing a similar site, and they got millions of dollars in funding from the NSF. And I said, really? But it was slightly different focus. But, but it's, it's amazing to see people from around the world coming and continue to collaborate and sharing what they're doing on that site. And I've basically done almost no maintenance on it um, since then. That's awesome. I think it's interesting, too, that, um, you know, we have various people on the show and some people are like, well, I put together this course and other people say, hey, you know, I I built this library and you it's, you know, I built the solution to this problem, which I, I think says a lot about how you think and what you value. Right, right. No, it's it's really... Um, yeah, I mean, I basically, I said to my advisor, you know, we, we talk about collaboration in our lab and we're not doing any collaboration and that's like, that's the problem I want to solve. And, and the way he worked, I think mostly to his credit, although I probably wouldn't have been so generous a few years ago toward him. Um, he basically didn't tell you what to research. He said, think, find, find something that's really interesting to you. That's, that's a passion for yours. And, and I tried a few other things, um, until I finally landed on this one. And once I started going, it was, it was, it was great fun to see people, uh, start to connect and use and collaborate uh, using the site. Awesome. So what are you working on now? So nowadays, almost everything I do is training. Um, just about every day, I'm at a different company, uh, whether in Israel where I live, or I travel to China about three to five times a year, giving talks there. Uh, a bit less, I go to Europe and sometimes to the US to give training as well. Um, and as I said, I, I love it. Now, the thing is, I approached, uh, I, I do all the training on my own now. I don't go through any training companies mm -hmm. except in China. Um, but I was for a short period going through a training company. And that's when sort of my eyes were open to the market realities that at least in Israel, Ruby training was just not an option. I went to them and I said, I'd like to do Ruby training. And they sort of rolled their eyes and said, yeah, 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 whatever. Right. Um, send us your resume and we'll see. And they called me back within a few hours and said, okay, Ruby's nice, but you know Python. Oh my God, there's such a demand for Python. And uh, that's when I started to sort of change my stripes. Um, and now a huge number of people know me as the Python training guy, certainly in Israel. Um, and so most of the time I'm teaching intro courses, like courses for people who know programming but don't know Python. But I've sort of branched out from there. So I have an advanced class. I've started to teach in the last two years data science and machine learning, uh, where Python's the most popular language. And for people for whom my intro class was too hard, I now do a class that I call Python for non-programmers, which is like, let's do a general introduction to programming. And then a smattering of other things, some Git and some regular expressions. Um, and so almost all that is frontal lecture. Sometimes I do it online. Um, and in addition to that, I've now started moving into doing my own products online, uh, where I have a few courses that I offer that are um, recorded courses. Mm -hmm. um, and I even have like a a weekly exercise service for people in Python, which I, it's now a, a course uh, that I call weekly Python exercise. What do you know? Clever name. Yep. Um, where every week you get an exercise to like sharpen your skills. Um, and all, all that sort of, you know, and I also have a, I mean, I, I'm, I'm doing a lot of writing. I mean, mm -hmm. my family now knows every evening I'm like, oh, got to go do some more writing. But I love it. I love it. That's great. So how do people find this stuff? I mean, if they're interested in the machine learning or the Python or both. So the, the, the courses are almost all now word of mouth. Um, the good news for me, and I think for many other people in the training world, is that people in high tech switch jobs a lot. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
uh, look, just as an example, so two days ago, three days ago, I got a call from a company saying, we're interested in you doing Python training. I was like, oh, where, where, where do you hear me from? Oh, well, the person who runs training for us used to be at a previous company where seven years ago you gave a Python course. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we needed it, we sort of remembered you. Right. And the more that people sort of spread out to different places, the more they'll sort of consider consider me for that. Um, I'm sure that some people also come through my mailing list and my blog posts and other things that I put up, but I'm less convinced of that than the the word of mouth. Yeah, it was interesting. I, w- I had a conversation right before I talked to you with uh, a podcaster. He actually does a Python podcast. Uh, oh. Tobias Macy, he does a podcast, uh, Python oh, yeah. and it. And I was on uh, the podcast. <laughs> he's great he's great <laughs> anyway he was asking you know so so what do you do to grow your podcast and and i told him i was like i would guess that more than half of our growth could be attributed to word of mouth and it's exactly what you're talking about it's oh well i heard i was listening to ruby rogues or javascript jabber and they were talking about what we're now talking about so go listen to that episode so you can get some baseline information right and then they go this is good what else do they have so that's right Anyway, just just really, really interesting and uh, just to me kind of funny how it all plays out. So, look, the high tech world, um, certainly in Israel, but even around the world, is not that big. And people tend to move around. People tend to talk. Um, They talk to their colleagues as well. Um, And uh, I mean, if if you do a good job, that definitely can work to your advantage. Yeah. Look, I I also have the advantage that let's say the Israeli market, I am 100 percent sure that there are many Python developers who are way better than I am. I'm even willing to admit, like, there are probably people who teach better than I do, but they, most of them have full-time jobs. Yep. Right? And so, and they're not interested in running a business doing this. So how many people really have that combination of, uh, of, of uh, you know, availability and skills? So, um, so, so it's nice. And the growth in the market is just extraordinary. Yep. Something that Stack Overflow said a few months ago that Python is both the most popular language and the fastest growing language. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I feel like, you know, I've sort of hitched, hitched my, uh, well, my, my, my car to the right horse. I think, I think or right the right horse. I don't know. I'm missing up the metaphor, but you know, I, I'm right. sort of in the right direction for, for my business. And, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I think Python is where Ruby was 10 or, you know, 15 years ago in the sense that the web got hot and then it it really started to take off. And once it st- really got, started to take off and go mainstream a little after, you know, early 2000s, uh, Ruby on Rails hit and made web development a ton easier. And now we're seeing a lot of the same things with big data and machine learning and AI. And those are kind of the next up and coming things. And then Python happened to have the right combination of things to hit that. And so we're going to see it grow and take off in a lot of ways. Um, the, the other thing that I'm seeing is, you know, JavaScript, JavaScript's another one that seems to be growing quickly and it's because it can kind of reach into all these areas in a lot of different ways. And so, um, I, I think it's less the language and more the application that people can put it to and just how easy or how much better it is at it than other things that, that really drive that. And so, yeah, for the next 10 years, I see Python just continuing to grow and make huge strides as other languages kind of catch up or figure it out. And then whatever the new tech is in five to 10 years, we'll see some other language start to come up in that area too. I'm going to mostly agree with you there, but disagree slightly in that I think, I think Python has some advantage um, in that it's very readable. Yes. And it's like, and, and consistent, 
which is giving it inroads into additional places. So it's not just, I mean, totally, you're totally right that the machine learning stuff is driving a huge proportion of the growth. But a lot of the companies that I work with, I sort of assumed that they're doing, say, web development. And then I got in there the first time I discovered they're doing massive, mass scale automation. Like all their automated testing is run in Python. And a lot of universities now are teaching as a first language also. Yep. So that sort of combination of different um, angles Def, definitely guarantees it's got a long shelf life. Yeah, like I'm, I, I I'm not worried at all. I think I think yeah. I I didn't mean to discount in any way the quality of the language. I think there are qualities of the languages that make them, you know, make them take off as well. But um, it seems like a lot of the drivers for a lot of the growth come out of what people are using it for. But I agree yes. with you. I think if you know if Python were a much harder language to program in it would have been something else. Like somebody would have yes. found some other way to make something else work for machine learning. But Python's approachable, and so that makes it that much easier to bring new people into it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Cool. So um, I guess before we get to picks, what if people want to hire you to do training or check out your courses or things like that, how, how, do, they, how do they find all that stuff? So they can go to my site, learner.co.il, L-E-R-N-E-R.co.il, um, which needs a bit of a revamp. I guess that's like always what people say. But that has a list of the courses that I offer, list of how to get in touch with me, list my mailing lists. Um, I'm transitioning. Uh, I guess I've already transitioned now my ebooks and my courses, like the paid stuff that I do online, all to a storefront. Mm -hmm. um, so that's all available there. And new stuff is coming out. I'm basically planning over the next, uh, I mean, it's now, what, uh, really 2018, over the coming six to eight months to roll out a bunch of recorded courses. Um, and I've, I've been, so I have a weekly mailing list as well, and I've been polling them, like, what's of mm -hmm. interest to you? And so I'm basically going to go down the list and, uh, you know, in my copious free time, put together those courses or take the stuff that I already teach in person and try to translate into an right. online format. That makes a lot of sense. And people should totally feel free to email me if they have, you know, questions or whatever uh, about courses or training in general. And if people want to do that, uh, do you want to give your email address over this or do you want them to go to your website and find it there? Uh, it, it, it's all good. Uh, it's Reuven, R-E-U-V-E-N at learner, L-E-R-N-E-R dot C-O dot I-L. Um, and my contact info is also on the website in case you didn't catch that or you are one of the many, many people who misspell my name, um, <laughs> which does not, does not offend me anymore. Like I, I gotten over it many, many years ago. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere available from any device uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Uh, do you have some things you want to shout out about? Yeah, so... um. 
two, two uh, free newsletters that I put out every week. Uh, one I call my Better Developers Newsletter. comes out every Monday. Um, I've got like 7,000 or so subscribers right now, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. And I must say, I, I was writing for Linux Journal for 20 years until they died. And now they've come back. I'm so excited. Um, and I get way, way more feedback from people on the mailing list than I ever did from my column. And it's just like an incredibly nice feeling to hear from people around the world. And that's mostly Python, but other software engineering stuff as well. And for people interested in the training side of things, um, then I have a, a weekly newsletter for training about the pedagogy and logistics, the business of that, that I call Trainer Weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, 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 we'll, we'll put in the show notes the, uh, the links to that. Um, one of the tools that I use very heavily in my weekly Python exercise um, course is Discourse, the online forum. Mm-hmm. I just love Discourse. I am so impressed. And I just literally uh, two hours ago was trying to figure out how to do something with it. I said, okay, I'm sure they don't, for example, I want to be able to publish the forums for each weekly exercise, but I don't want to have to do it like on the spot. I want to be able to time it in advance. Mm-hmm. What do you know? They have time publishing of forum topics in oh, Discourse. Nice. You set up the day and hour you want to be. It's like baked in there. These guys have thought of everything. It's so amazing. And I actually use a, I don't host it myself. I use a hosting platform called, I think it's called discoursehosting.net. Anyway, yeah, discoursehosting.com. They're pretty cheap. Um, I've never had to talk to them because it just works out of the box. And uh, they hook into your own d- domain as well. So I just have like, you know, forum.weeklypythonexercise.com and that hooks into my DNS and it's just super easy and straightforward to do. Um, and I think, you know what, I'll, I'll throw in one more, which is one of the best books I've read in the last few years. It's called Weapons of Math Destruction by oh, Kathy nice. O'Neill, which is not only like a fantastic title, but she talks about the future of data science and machine learning as potentially dangerous to democracy and open societies as algorithms control things. And uh, we don't necessarily know what those algorithms are doing. And while we like to think of computers as unbiased, they actually reflect the biases of the programmers who are writing them. Mm-hmm. And so um, we shouldn't be so blasé and we shouldn't be so uh, you know, techno-phallic that we say, oh, well, it's a computer, so it must be great. And she really makes a very good argument for not for being a Luddite. She's a machine learning specialist. She knows her stuff. Right. But that we just need to Think, think before we, we jump in and use it everywhere. Cool. All right. I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. Uh, yeah. So I went to CES last week and I recorded probably 20 or 30 videos about different uh, products and product lines. So if you're interested in those, I tried to find stuff that was interesting to the audiences that, that we cover here on the show. But then I also covered some stuff that was just interesting to me. So, you know, you're, you're going to get a mix. Some of it will probably be more interesting to you than others. Um, some of it also is somewhat language specific. I mean, some of the, uh, teach kids to code toys that are out there, for example, some of them are JavaScript, some of them are Swift, some of them are, you know, their own proprietary language. Um, you know, some of them use kind of the drag and drop block programming. Some of them are more simple than that. Some of them are more complex, you know, just to kind of give you an idea. I also went and saw some technology that helped people with various diseases, medical devices and stuff like that, just because, you know, I have a personal interest in some of those topics, not generally medical devices, but anyway, so you'll, you'll get kind of a, a blend. Um, and I'm just going to put them all up. If you go to the devchat.tv uh, YouTube channel, um, so just go to devchat.tv slash YouTube and it'll take you to the channel. Um, you can go see, we'll have a CES 2018 playlist. Um, and just to also keep in mind, some of the vendors that I talked to don't have videos, but they did agree to send me review units. 
So uh, I will be adding to those channels as they send me units to check out. Um, so yeah, so it's it's a wide variety. A lot of it centers around either teaching kids to code, IoT, uh, AR, VR. Uh, there's a little bit of machine learning stuff in there, but as I mentioned to uh, Reuven before the show, um, when they said artificial intelligence, a lot of them meant uh, Amazon Echo or Google Home being integrated into some device, which is not what we think when we think artificial intelligence or machine learning. So um, just, just kind of keep that in mind as well. Um, a few of the products that I did bring home with me, and I'm just going to shout them out really quickly. One of them is called Primo, and it's geared toward teaching younger kids to program. So a lot of times, you know, they, they don't have the mental complexity to model things like conditional logic and stuff like that. But um, what it does is it has little uh, different shape and different colored blocks that you put into essentially a row and then it executes each instruction on the row. So it's go move forward, turn left, turn right. Um, and then they also had a little box at the bottom with like four spots in it where you could uh, effectively build a, a method or a function that gets edited or that gets executed by one of the other blocks. And so you could have it repeat the same series of um, instructions. And so, you know, it's, it's pretty basic. It has like four or five instructions available. But uh, then it comes with a storybook. And so it gives you a scenario that you're supposed to program out, right? So, you know, have it and, and you have this cloth that you put down on the ground. And so then, it you know, it, it moves from your apartment to the grocery store or something, right? Um, anyway, it's, it, it's a pretty interesting toy and looks like a lot of fun. Um, so I got that. Um, I also got a unit from Merge Cube. You can actually get that in stores right now. Um, and what it is, is it's an art augmented reality cube and as you turn it to the different faces it exposes different apps to you on your phone so you point your phone's camera at it and then you you know you turn it um they also sell the uh ar and vr headsets that use the google cardboard specification so you you push the button on top in order to engage the touch and uh that's really fun too my kids really really enjoyed that um and then finally one other one this is also available in stores right now is the Octagon um, augmented reality cards. And uh, they gave me a set that has professions in it. So you can see like policemen, librarians and stuff. But they also had one that had animals in it. So they showed me the augmented reality with the monkey card. And so, you know, you pointed at the card and then, you know, there's a monkey sitting on the desk uh, <laughs> in augmented reality. And then they're like, yeah, and you can make the cards interact. So then they put the banana card next to it and the monkey would follow the banana card around. And then when it finally caught up with the banana card, so you stop moving the banana card, it would pull a banana off of the bunch and eat it. And so it was it was just kind of a fun way to get kids to interact and, you know, learn things. And, you know, it has all the letters. So it has one animal for every letter of the alphabet and things like that. So it's it's a learning tool for that kind of a thing. Um, the Merge Cube also incidentally has like anatomy apps and things like that. So, you know, it shows you the different parts of the heart or the brain or whatever, which was also cool. really fun. So those, those were really interesting. And then um, I also wound up with uh, wireless headphones, which for me is interesting just because I listen to podcasts. I have my headphones in and out all day long. Um, there's a company called Crazy Baby. Uh, they're actually based here in Utah um, or their they're U.S. Uh, distribution is based here in Utah. And those are wireless headphones that you can, you know, you put in your ears. They connect to your phone via Bluetooth. And so I'm going to be trying those out and probably doing a review on them. I don't have a video for their stuff, but they're supposed to be waterproof up to six feet. So you can actually go swim laps with them and stuff like that. 
which none of the other ones offered. Um, I also have finally one other uh, unit that was sent to me before CES by a company called Broggy, and they do all kinds of fitness tracking with the headphones. So similar to the little green light and sensors you get on the back of like a smartwatch or a Fitbit to track your pulse and things like that, they have that except it's in your ear. And uh, it has a bunch of really interesting functions. And since it connects to your phone, like when your phone rings, if you don't want to answer it, uh, you can just shake your head and it'll disconnect. <laughs> um, and then it has That's touch great. sensors on the side. The crazy baby ones do as well uh, for different functions. And uh, because I wanted to compare it to something that I've been hearing a lot of people talk about, I bought myself the um, Apple AirPods and I really like them too. Um, I have to say I like the fit of the AirPods or EarPods better than I like the in-the-ear canal ones, which the other two are. But um, it seems like the other ones are a little bit more fully functioned. So that's kind of a comprehensive look at what I'm going to be playing with over the next few weeks just to give you an idea of how that works. So anyway, uh, those are my picks. Um, and then, yeah, just keep an eye out. I'm probably going to do a video here over the next few days as far as, you know, what are the trends I saw there and things like that. Um, you know, what I think is going to be coming into the, you know, mainstream consumer market over the next um, little while, because I think we're seeing a lot more products in a lot of different um, consumer areas that we don't typically see served now, but are starting to have a large amount of competition in them. And so I expect the prices to come down and the adoption to go up. So we'll see how all that goes. One of those is uh, smart home technology, just to throw one out. But anyway, um, those are my picks. Uh, Reuven, you mentioned where to get your products. Uh, are you on Twitter or GitHub where people can find you as well? I'm on Twitter. I am Reuven M. Lerner on Twitter. You can definitely reach me there. Um, I don't tweet that much, but what I tweet is you know, it's quality, not quantity. Right? Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not much to follow on GitHub, GitHub I'm afraid. Uh, a few things here and there that I just do personally, but uh, I've got to say I'm, I'm a little too busy with the uh, training and the teaching to, uh, to do too much in the open source world. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming, and thanks for all of the advice over the years on the Freelancer Show. Um, we'll go ahead and wrap this up, and we will be back next week with another Ruby story. Excellent. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Chuck. Yeah, bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>